Yeah, so we're, we're doing a new series, and it's called Dear, Dear John, but there's a subtitle, and the subtitle is When Love is Rejected. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to be looking uh, into the Gospel of John. We're going to be looking at certain statements that John makes and certain uh, events that John records that sum up uh, not only Dear John in, in the sense of playing off of his name, but but of uh, what the significance of the word Dear John or the term Dear John actually means. Uh, if you've ever had a broken heart, uh, then you know how painful a broken heart uh, can be. If you've ever uh, experienced uh, rejection, you know how painful rejection can be. Recently, scientists have discovered that uh, physical uh, pain and uh, the pain that's caused by rejection is uh, processed in the same area of the brain as, as physical pain. So, so in other words, rejection, the emotional pain caused by that is experienced in the same part of the brain, same area of the brain as physical pain. So, so the, the study concludes that basically there's, there, there's no difference as far as the way we process either emotional pain or, or physical pain. Uh, they're processed in the same way. It hurts. Uh, it's painful, right? And uh, so we want to talk about this this morning. Uh, I want you to notice the graphic this morning. It is uh, the way that we chose it to, to set off this series is, is a handwritten uh, letter, uh, Dear John. Now, before I explain the term Dear John, what that means, maybe for some, at least some of the younger people in the room this morning, let me explain to you what a letter is. <laughs> there's a re- listen, there, there's a reason why across the country, uh, dozens and dozens of post offices are being closed. I don't know if you heard that announcement, but they're, they're being, not only closed, they're being sold off. Uh, and guess who the broker happens to be? Happens to be married to Nancy Pelosi. Just a coincidence. Yeah, but, 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 but anyway, we don't, we don't send letters anymore. And that's the reason why the, the mail has gone down. We, 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 send e- we, we type emails. We, we send text messages. We, we tweet. And for some of you who don't know what a tweet is, <laughs> it's not a bird. <laughs> you know, just, to, just to let you know. So, like, like we, we, we've lost this idea of, of handwriting. So, they don't teach script writing in school anymore. Here's a word you probably never heard of, penmanship, right? Uh, but they used to teach penmanship when I was a, a boy back in, back in the day. But uh, let, me just, let me just share with you what, what this term, uh, Dear John, basically means. It, it's basically a rejection letter. It's basically an I dump you letter. Uh, it was written by uh, an either a wife or a girlfriend to their significant other, and as a result of that, uh, it was basically informing them that they're no longer needed, that they're, they're no longer wanted. When I was preparing this message, I just got to be honest with you, uh, I thought about this old girl that I went out with. So let me just, let me just could, could you just hold on for a minute? Let me just speak to my wife for a minute. Sweetheart, this was way before we met. This is when I was back in high school, okay? You don't have to be jealous about this, okay? She was Russian. I, I never told you this, but I went out with a Russian girl. I mean, her parents came as immigrants from, from Russia, and, and, and her name wasn't Natasha. It was more like Boris. Actually, it was, it was Wilhelmina, and they called her Willie for short. 
She was cute, all right? But we went out a couple of times. This is back in high school. This is way before I met you, so don't, don't be mad at me. I, I'm in trouble, you know? Don't be mad at me, all right? So, so, so anyway, we went out a couple of times. Then we went our separate ways, you know? And, and, and I graduated, you know, uh, high school. We both did. And, and we kind of accidentally ran into each other. And, and she kind of expressed, you know, a real happiness, a joy in, in seeing me again. And so... So we, we, we made a date, you know, Saturday night, 8 o'clock, don't be late, you know. And so, and so Saturday night, I go to pick her up, right, to, and knock on the door, ring the bell, whatever. And uh, her little sister comes out. I say, is Willie home, you know? And she says, no, she's not. I said, oh, okay, is she on her way? Is she late? Did she go to work? Did she come back? Is she coming back? No, no, Willie went out with her boyfriend, and, you know, it was, it was more than getting stood up. It, it was rejection. It was, it was getting dumped, you know? Uh, that's what a Dear John, really, letter is all about. It's commonly believed that the term Dear John uh, was coined by servicemen back in World War II. When, when servicemen went overseas, you know, fighting Europe, you know, uh, fighting Asia, uh, Sometimes they were away for several years. And, 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 so, and so, you know, the, the normal love letter to, to, to their boyfriend or husband would be like a scented letter, you know, a perfumed letter. And it would, it would read something like, my, my, my dearest Johnny, or my darling beloved Johnny, or, or, or Johnny dearest my beloved, you know, or something of that nature. But, but when there was no fragrance on the envelope and, and when there was... Just a curt, dear John, the guy knew that the hammer was about to fall. You know, it was a rejection letter. It was, it was, a, it was a, dear John, I've met somebody else. Or, or dear John, I can't wait any longer. Or, or dear John, the only solution for us in this is, is to get a divorce or to separate. And, and that's where this term, dear John, comes from. And I want you to think about this with me for a minute, but... Uh, Probably some of those guys who were in the field of battle uh, probably died from a broken heart before they ever died from bullets or guns or bombs uh, because, because rejection hurts. But I got to tell you, this message this morning that we find being woven into the gospel of John, is not about our broken heart. It's not about our rejection. It's about divine love being rejected. You see, having a broken heart is not exclusively something that human beings experience. I don't think angels know what a broken heart is, but I, I, know, I know that I know that God knows what a broken heart is all about because he's experienced a broken heart. See, we were, we were created by love, for love, and whenever God, who is love, is rejected, whenever somebody says, I don't need God, I don't want God in my life. That's, that's rejecting love. That's, that's in essence a dear John letter or a dear God letter. Dear God, I, I don't really need you. Dear, dear God, I found someone else who is not as possessive and not as demanding. I mean, the, the people of Israel, this was the history of their problem. They, they were constantly being accused of, of, of being an adulterous generation, every succeeding generation. They were constantly being seduced into idolatry. 
You know, dear, dear God, we, we are now serving Baal or Bell, however you want to pronounce that. When Kathy and I were 22 years old, we got married. And boy, that seems like such a, a young age to get married. But anyway, back in the day, right, I think we were a little bit more mature. But, but, but we were like 22 years old, and we just wanted to get married. You know, I, I, I marvel. I was talking with J- Jess and, and Joey uh, last week about how uh, involved they are in all the decisions and all the details. And, and, and quite frankly, you know, my attitude was just tell me what time to be at the church because I just want to get married. I'm not, I'm not really that interested in all the details. And, and, and quite honestly, when it came to our reception, we left all of the details really to my mother-in-law or, or my then would be my mother-in-law, Kay, wonderful woman, right? She, she, she selected a band to play at our wedding, you know? Uh, they didn't have DJs back in that, my day. They had Victrolas, you wind them up. No, just kidding. No, but, but, but I don't even think they had DJs, but they had bands in those days. And she picked out a band that was, that was you know, according to her style of music, which is a nice way of me saying that they were old fossils from the 1940s, you know? And, and so, so here we are at our wedding reception. This is not before. Uh, Dave, Pamela, you guys pay attention real close here now, what I'm about to tell you, because this is really important. The, the band leader asks us right there on the spot, what song would you like to be your first dance? Now, now listen, your first dance as husband and wife, that's a big deal. You know, it, it is probably, in my opinion, one of the most important parts of the reception you know, of the celebration. It's, it's when they're the only ones out on the dance floor. No, nobody else participates. It, it's supposed to be a song, a theme that, that expresses, expresses th- this, is, this is why they're married. This is, this is their, their future destiny together, right? And so, so in unison, we, we look at the band leader. We had to speak up a little loud. I wasn't sure if he could hear us quite well. But we said, we said to love somebody by the BJs. B- BGs, excuse me, to love somebody by the BGs. And, and, and he says, what, what's a BG? I said, no, no, it's not what a BG is, it's who. It, it, they're a singing group, the B- to love somebody. Don't you know that song? Uh, we don't know that song. You know what? So I said, we said, we said ah, you know what? It, it doesn't matter. Just, just play anything. To, to this day, neither one of us remember, we cannot tell you, we cannot tell you what song we danced to, but I tell you this, in our hearts, we dance to, to love somebody, to love somebody. You don't know what it's like to love somebody the way I love you, and we dance to that, and I, I got to be honest with you, at 22 years old, we, we, we didn't know what real love was. You know, we, we knew the kind of selfish love that most people who don't know Christ, you know, know about. Uh, it's the kind of, like, what you can do for me, how you make me feel good, how, how, how you, you know, make me happy, rather than the kind of love that we discovered when we came to know the love of God in the divine unveiling of God's sacrificial love, God's serving love, God's giving love. In fact, we, we, we were almost, the first couple of years that we were married, we were almost a tragic statistic. But God intervened, and, and the grace of God appeared into our life. And we began to discover what, what God was as God began to not only heal our marriage, but also save our souls. And, 
as a result of that, that song uh, is still our song. Uh, we, 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 we dance to that song from time to time in private, and it's none of your business. But those words became much more significant to us because of our relationship with God. Because it was, it was as if God intervened in our life and it was as if God was the one singing over us, you don't know what it's like to love somebody the way I love you. See, I don't know if you know this or not, but Zephaniah 3.17 says that God rejoices over us. God quiets us in his love. God's, God rejoices over us with singing. And, 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 and I, I, I do not think it's really hard for me to believe that when God intervened in our life some 35, 6 years ago, however long it's been, 40 years ago, I don't even remember anymore. But God sang over us. You don't know what it's like to love somebody the way that I love you. And, and having come to discover that, listen, if, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm so glad that you are here for the beginning of this series because one of the things that we all need, whether you're a follower of Jesus or you're not, is that we need love and acceptance. And that there is love and acceptance found in Jesus Christ. He enables us to become accepted in the beloved, in the Son of God himself. You see, we were created for this. And there is a, there is a chasm in our soul that, that, that the universe itself cannot fill because God is bigger than this universe and only God can fill this chasm in our soul. And, and I, I got to tell you something. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus and you've had a broken heart or you know what it's like, to have, to have love rejected? Can I tell you that the one whom we worship and the one whom we call our Savior is somebody who knows all about a broken heart, who has experienced a broken heart in the area of his, of his brain, both physical and emotional. He has experienced that. In fact, in fact, the Bible literally tells us that Jesus died of a ruptured or of a broken heart. In the Psalms, it says, Psalm 69 my heart is broken by reproach. And so, and so Jesus knows, and, and, and it's our hope and it's our prayer that you will discover that Jesus is one who's come to heal our brokenness. In fact, it's one of his missionary statements. He's come to heal the brokenhearted. And I hope that you come by the end of this message to know the beginnings of what it means to have your heart healed. Here's, a, here's why this message is so important. Here's a statement. I want to have that put up on the screen. Loving God and being loved by God is the single most important issue in life. Loving God and being loved by God is the single most important. There's nothing more important than this. There's nothing more important than loving God above all else, of loving God more than pleasure, loving God more than... Comfort, loving God more than self, loving God more than security. Nothing more important. And there's nothing more important than being loved by God and keeping yourself in the love of God. Of coming to understand that there are dimensions of the love of God that are, while they're incomprehensible, there are dimensions of the love of God that we are to search out the height, breadth, length, and the depth of the, of the love. And only God can reveal the love of God to us. For only God can reveal God 
to us. And only God can reveal this amazing divine love to us. But here's the danger. I heard, I heard kind of echoed this morning by, by Andrew as he said something about, you know, as we were worshiping, about being distracted. There were so many things to distract us. There were so many obstacles to interfere, to come between, between our relationship with God. There, there, there are three battlefields that we face every single day. The world, the love of this world, our own bodies, our own flesh, our own nature that we were born within this corrupted world, and, 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 and a tempter who is seeking our destruction. And so, so we face battlefields that are loaded with minefields, IEDs, that go off all the time to prevent us from, from becoming lovers of God. Listen, nobody, I don't know any follower of Jesus who wants to be classified as a Laodicean believer, as a, as a lukewarm lover of God. I don't know anybody who, who wants to emulate the Ephesians in, in Revelation chapter 2 where Jesus said, you guys got all the right doctrine, you guys got all of the right service, you're doing all the right stuff, but here's what I have against you. You've forsaken your first love. Nobody wants to fall into the category of being like the Corinthians whom Paul says, my fear for you is that in the same way that the serpent has has deceived the woman Eve. So in that same way, your minds have been distracted from the simple, pure love and devotion to Christ. So that's the danger. And that's the danger that we face. Before we know it, this life is gonna be over. This life goes by real quick. I don't know if you noticed this yet, but the older you get, it's like the sand running through the hourglass. The older you get, the more sand runs through. It seems to be going faster, even though it's just, you know, 365 days a year, but it seems a whole lot faster. And everybody that's a little older said, amen. Before you know it, it's, this life's going to be over. We're going to be standing in front of Jesus. We're going to be looking at him face to face. And in that hour, in that moment, we will know why this is, why there is nothing more important than this, than loving God above all else. But I tell you what, if we will allow God this morning, three times this morning in our prayer before service, I heard heard this prayer, God quiet our souls. I I think if if we just get quiet enough this morning and be still before God, we might just be able to hear him singing over us. You don't know what it's like to love somebody the way that I love you. I just think that that might be so. So let's take a look at the introduction or the prologue of John's gospel. We'll begin in John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, first three words, John hits us with, in the beginning, which immediately is, And should be a reminder to us. I've seen that sentence before. I've seen those three words before. In the beginning, Genesis 1.1. So John wants us to draw back and to to go back in time. To the very beginning. When when in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Because he's he's, he's going to tell us about all this creation. Who brought it about? And he's he's going to be lifting up Jesus. He's going to be calling Jesus 
Listen, he calls Jesus the Word, the Word. We, we, we know that the written Word, the Bible, is, is God's message, but, but there is a living Word, which is Jesus, who is both the message and the messenger. And so John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This, the, the word logos is the communication, God. It's the message. Jesus is both the message and the messenger. In the volume of the book, it is written of him. The whole word of God from Genesis to Revelation testifies to one thing. Revelation 19 says, the spirit of prophecy is the Lord Jesus. If you don't see Jesus in the scriptures, you, are, you need to have your eyes checked because they testify about Jesus. And so in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. There was never a time that, that this second person of the Godhead was not God. He was, he was always God. He will always be God. He never ceased to be God. Verse 3 says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. He's the creator. He's the one who brought about the mountains and the universe and the cosmos was spoken into existence. In him was life, and that life was the light of man. This reads like poetry, doesn't it? The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it. One translation says the darkness could not comprehend it. Another says the darkness could not overpower it. Darkness will never be able to overpower light. But let me, let me jump just a couple of verses to verse 14 because this is so important. This is a series unto itself. It's the miracle of infinite, infinite kindness and goodness on God's part. That The word God, John's about to tell us in verse 14, has become something that he was not in a point in time. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son made of a woman, he became one of us, one as us. He became flesh, like this, flesh and bone and blood, just like us. Amazing, the creator of the universe, the one who spoke worlds into existence. The cosmos became one of us. So it says in verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who has come from the Father, full of grace and truth. John goes on to say that of his grace, we've all received grace, heaped upon grace, grace upon grace. Grace, I love the word grace. It is the it is, more than, it is more than God's favor. It is, it is more than his undeserved, it is his ill-deserved kindness. It is the very opposite of what each and every one of us deserve. What John is saying, which is such an amazing thing, and yet, and yet in, in, in the verses that he's going to introduce to us, there's an indictment now that, that comes down like a sledgehammer against human depravity that because, listen, the creator, the loving creator of the universe has come into the world that he created. He's, he's come into our world, the world that he created, and he is now despised and rejected. He is disdained and experiences hostility. It says in verse 10, he was in the world and though 
The world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. And then here's the verse. He came into his own, to his own people, to his own nation, to his own family, to his own tribe. He came into his own and his own received him not. Right over that rejection. He came into his own and his own received him not. I think, I think, this is my conjecture, that what John had in mind is what Luke goes into the details of, citing one example that when Jesus began his public ministry in his own hometown of Nazareth, when he took the scroll of Isaiah and he read from it, and at first they said, what gracious words are these? And then they turned on him in rage when he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And they, 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 they thrust him out of the synagogue and onto the city upon which the, the city was built on a cliff and they, and they sought to push him off. They were so hostile and violent toward him that they wanted to kill him. And folks, that's the way the human heart is pointed at God doesn't want God, doesn't need God, wants to get rid of God. That's the indictment against the human depravity. In the beginning was the word, the message. Who could have ever imagined angels? Angels are blown away. They're still blown away by, by God having become one of us. I mean, that, that would in and of itself demonstrate his love, but God goes further than that. Is it any wonder that Jesus began his public ministry reading from the scroll of Isaiah, Isaiah who told Israel that the Messiah, who you are waiting for, whom you long for, who shall believe our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? There's no beauty that we should desire in him. No attract, there was nothing to attract us to him. He's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Clue right there that his entrance into our world, into the world that he created, was going to be met with hostility and with anger. In a book written by Max Lucado called, And the Angels Were Silent, Max Licato makes this point. He says that the word betray and the word betroth are an eighth of an inch apart in measure, but they are worlds apart in meaning. Betray and betroth. An eighth of an inch apart in measure, but a world apart in meaning. And he goes on to say that that's a weapon not in the hands of an enemy. No, no, no enemy can use betrayal against you. They can't get close enough. It's only somebody who, who you love can get close enough to betray. And so he goes on and he says this, that betrayal is an inside job. It's a, it's a, it's a violation of trust. It's a betrayal or mutiny or treason. And then he says this, it's more than rejection because rejection opens a wound, but betrayal pours in the salt. It's more than loneliness. Loneliness leaves you out in the cold, but betrayal slams the door and locks it. It's more than mockery. Mockery plunges in the knife, but betrayal twists it. 
It's more than an insult because an insult attacks your person, but betrayal breaks your heart. I don't know if you've ever considered this. If you've ever thought in terms of God having a broken heart, we, we, we so often strip God of any emotions at all, you know? And, and that is just not so because where do you think we get our emotions from? If we were made in the likeness and image of God, where do you think emotions have come from in the first place? Or how do you think Jesus felt in the city of Nazareth where he grew up, where he knew them and they knew him and they were offended because of their familiarity with him? Or how do you think he felt when Judas kissed him and betrayed him for the price of a slave? Or how do you think he felt when, for the third time, Peter said, I swear I don't know the man. I think his heart broke. I think he died of reproach, of a broken heart. There's a couple of examples that we could cite from John chapter 6, for example, when Jesus was teaching on the subject of something that we participated a little while ago in the breaking of bread and the drinking of the cup. He said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot have life within you. He was not espousing some kind of cannibalism. My words are spirit and my words are life. But the Bible says that many of his disciples, John 6, 66, many of his disciples, the Bible says, walked away and followed him no more. Who were they? Who were these disciples that walked away from Jesus and said, no more for you, Jesus? Well, it's believed that they were the 70. Remember the 70 that were sent out? The 70 that were given authority and power to heal the sick and to preach the gospel. And they came back rejoicing that even the demons were submissive to them. And Jesus warned them and said, don't be rejoicing in that, but rather because you've got a relationship with me and your names are written in heaven. They walked away from him. How do you, th- how do you think he felt? I think his heart was broken. I think the sensitivity of the Son of Man, I think the sensitivity of Jesus Christ in his humanity would have been heightened beyond anything that we probably could ever imagine. Because we've been dulled by sin, but he was innocent, harmless, separate from sinners. In John chapter 7, the Bible says that his own family members, we know to be James and Jude, The Bible says, did not believe upon him, but it was more than not believing upon him. They actually thought that he was delusional and they actually tried to restrain him. They thought he was bipolar or something or or insane. How do you think that made the Son of God feel? To be called demon-possessed, an illegitimate child born of fornication, a drunkard, and a glutton. These, these were some of the things that they said about this sensitive person we know as the savior of the world. Lest you think that I'm just picking on that generation and saying, well, the, the, that generation was really bad. Can I read a paragraph to you from a speech that I'm not going to tell you who it was now, but, but let, let me let, let, let's just hit you first, Okay. And it's speaking about this nation. So, so, so he, says, he says this. He says, we have been the recipients of the choicest blessings of heaven. 
We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we've become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming grace, too proud to pray to the God who created us. Wasn't Ronald Reagan who said that? George Bush. That was said in a speech 150 years ago in 1863 by Abraham Lincoln. And lest you think that that generation was different than this generation, every succeeding generation. There's stuff that gets in the way of our relationship with God. There are scores of people that don't want anything to do with God. I don't need God. I've told this story before, but I remember sitting in the kitchen sharing with a young couple. The wife wanted to become a believer. She wanted to come to the church, but her husband was resistant. And after I shared the gospel in simplicity with them, she said, I don't need it. I don't want it. And that hurt me as a preacher. I could imagine how the rejection of God's offer of love wounds his heart. Is there no hope for us? Is there no hope for the generations? See, the whole, the whole point of the gospel, of the good news is that God does for us what we could never do for ourselves, that God overcomes our rebellion and overcomes our not desiring him and not wanting him by being, being loving us first before we ever could first love him, revealing his grace and mercy, overcoming, a, overcoming our deadness because when, when we were dead in trespasses and in sins, God quickened us and made us alive in Christ. There was nothing that we could do before that moment when we became believers, when we committed our hearts and lives to Christ. I don't know if you realize this, but the magnitude of this miracle is greater than God speaking light into existence. When God spoke light into our souls and into our hearts and made known to us the gospel in the person of the Lord Jesus, that's a miracle, beloved. No one, no one enters into the kingdom of God apart from a miracle of new birth. L- l- listen to what John says. I, I stopped short of just reading this next sentence, and, 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 and I did it on purpose, so that the tension that we would feel, we would feel it so that we would appreciate this next verse. Let me just go back again. Verse 10 says, he came to the world that he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people. Even they rejected him, but... But if you remember several weeks ago, I told you one of the most important words in the whole Bible is that word, but. But to all who believed him and accepted him, but to as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God who were reborn, 
Not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but from a birth that comes from God. In other words, just as you and I had no say in our natural birth, we did not birth ourselves into existence. Somebody else, couple came together, and, and in their coming together, the conception created us. So God, through the new birth, brings men and women, children into the kingdom of God by the act of his will, by the selection and by the choice. And this is, this is a miracle. This is, this is the grace of God. Undeserving sinners, people who are undeserving, come to receive this and to believe this. And it's a miracle. If you're here this morning and you are a lover of God, it's because the miracle of God first loving you and putting that desire in your heart to know him, to experience God. God overcame your, your rebellion and your disobedience and he overcame your stubbornness and he overcame your desire for, for selfish pleasure and he began to woo you as a lover would attract another unto himself. And what I want you to walk away with this morning is the knowledge that his rejection has become our acceptance and his death has become our life. His rejection has become our acceptance. His death becomes our life. It was his plan to be rejected. It was his will to be scorned it was his will to become a sacrifice for many. Came across a story about a, a, a little girl. She was a, an orphan. She was sent from one orphanage to another. Uh, in the orphanage where she was, probably because she wasn't, if I could say it this way, she didn't have very nice features. She wasn't an attractive child or a desirable looking child, and, and she had some mannerisms and some behaviors and some issues that, that caused not, not only the children to shun her, but even the adults didn't like her. And the superintendent of the orphanage tried to find a way to send her to the, to the next institution. And one day an opportunity came. She was thought to be writing notes to people on the outside and they were forbidden to, to, to do that. And one little girl came and kind of ratted her out and said, I, 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 saw, her, I saw what she did. She, she wrote a note and she pinned it on a tree by the stone wall. And the superintendent ran out to find that note, took it off of the, off of the tree. And, and this is what the note read. Whoever finds this, I love you. To whoever finds this, I love you. Someone else wrote a note a long time ago over a tree outside of the city wall. And it is the most amazing message of love and if you, find, if you find this note on this tree called the cross, you find the message 
You don't know what it's like to love somebody the way I love you. It's amazing, but it's true. Not a single one of us who are followers of Christ or followers of Christ by our own choice. We were called, we were, we were selected, we were chosen by God. And because God chose us and called us, he also justified us and those whom he justified, he will one day glorify. He's purposed to conform us to the image of the son of his love. And one of the ways that we know that we're in the kingdom of God is because now this issue of love becomes important not only in our loving God, but of our loving one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples when you have love one for another. And that's, that, that's not our doing. It's not our deserving. It's not our merits. It's God at work in us to will and to do according to his pleasure. His rejection has become our acceptance. His death has become our life. This morning, if you're here and you, you, you've, not, you've never made a connection with God before, you know, again, I want to tell you I'm, I'm so happy that you're here. You have a tremendous opportunity right now this morning to fulfill what John said, John chapter 10 in that 11th verse, but to as many as would receive him, to them, God will give you today the power to become the children of God. If you could quiet yourself right now just for a moment, let me tell you how that that takes place. Here's how the transaction takes place. You begin a conversation with God. And the conversation with God on your part goes, okay, God, I I found that note. I'm, I'm, hearing, I'm hearing what this guy is saying about you loving me unconditionally. I, will, I accept that love, and with that I accept forgiveness, and with that I accept the power to become a child of God. I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. That, however you word it. It's like, it's like the dance that my wife had. It didn't matter what was being played outwardly. What, was, what mattered was what's going on in the heart. And if your heart this morning is responding to him, just say that right now in the quietness of where you're seated. Say, Jesus, come into my heart. I accept you as my Savior. And as my Lord, open my heart to your love. When we do that, the Bible says that he, he who loves us and gave himself for us, set us free from our sins in his own blood, he now makes us a nation of kings and priests unto our God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for this incredible love wherewith you have come to love us. We are undeserving, but you, O God, have loved us even while we were yet enemies. And you transform us from enemies of God into lovers of God by an act of your kindness and mercy. Not a one of us deserves to be called a child of God. Not a single one of us is worthy. So we fix 
our hearts and we fix our praise in appreciation. This is how, Father, we apply this message to our hearts. We are grateful for what you've done for us because what you've done for us, oh God, Lord, we could have never done for ourselves. And we, Lord, just even now, many of us followers of Christ for many years, we just, we guard our hearts. We keep our hearts. We garrison our hearts in the love of God. Knowing that stuff can get in between and we pray that there would be nothing in between our loving you above all else not loving ourselves, not loving comfort, not loving pleasure more than anything, loving you above everything else in this world. So touch us this morning, Lord, with this love as you sing over our hearts this morning about a love that we can only search out by the power of the Holy Spirit. We said together, amen.